invite you to remain standing out of love and affection for God's word and join me turning to the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. We'll be looking at the first 18 verses this morning as we continue our study, the last chapters here of John's Gospel account this Lenten season that ends today in the celebration of the resurrection of our Savior. Friends, there's really no two ways about it, no two ways around it. We have to do something with this resurrection. We have to do something with this claim of an empty tomb. Either we actually believe it by faith, or we say we believe it, and yet our lives reveal that the way we live is anything but belief in it. But there is good news. If that describes you today, there is good news here, because in this account, what John gives us is a picture of those that were there that particular day who saw that empty tomb and yet were filled with doubt, but the Lord himself did not leave them there, but gave them great assurance, just as he promises to do today for us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So as those who doubt and doubt often, let's find great hope then in this particular passage as we give our full attention to the reading and the preaching of it. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary... She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said all of these things to her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father, your word is open before us in our laps. We pray that you would open our minds to receive it. 
open our hearts to believe it, that Christ indeed has been risen again to new life and gives us the same hope, the same promise. So teach us today these very things and give us great faith, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. After I finished seminary some 23, 4 years ago, I was still there in St. Louis uh, pastoring a church and I had a, a young man in my church that had a good friend. And before actually I was leaving St. Louis to come here to replant Redeemer, this young man asked me to come and sit with this friend that he had who had been uh, raised in the Mormon church because this guy, this friend of his, had some questions and he felt like perhaps I could answer his questions. So I went to this young man's apartment. I was sitting down on the couch next to him and we were dialoguing back and forth of all of the things that he believed and all of the things that I believed. We finally got to the very end and I noticed sitting on the table, the coffee table right in front of me, there was a, a Bible and there was the Book of Mormon. And I thought to myself, I thought I had the greatest thought in all of the world. And I, I, I reached forward and I grabbed the Book of Mormon and I opened it up to the preface. And I read the preface to him. And I said, this, this account that you are about to read is the story of one man. And it's written by that same man and some angel that no one has seen who told me to write it down on a bunch of gold tablets that nobody knows where they are. So I read that to him and I closed it and then I picked up the, the Bible and I opened to the preface and I read there. This account is about one man, Jesus the Christ, who bore our sins in his body. He died for those sins and he rose to new life. He appeared to the eleven. He appeared to the women. He appeared to multitudes, the crowd of over 500. And then I closed that book. And I looked at him and I said, now if this really is a matter of life and death and one of us is right and one of us is wrong, wouldn't you want to put your hope in a testimony that had been verified by scores of other individuals instead of the story of one man about himself? I thought it was priceless. I thought there's no way you can argue with that. And yet... He did not believe. But my friends, how many times does that not describe us? I mean, we are here today, this Resurrection Sunday. Many of you are here every single Sunday, which is also the celebration of the resurrection. Not simply one day out of the year, but every Sunday, every Lord's Day is a resurrection celebration. And yet the lives that we live many times, we stand at the tomb, the stone has been rolled away, we look inside, and we're no different from these individuals here because we say that we believe, we say that we've heard everything that Jesus has told us in his word, and yet our lives are filled with doubt. Some varying levels, of course. Some here today who doubt the, the whole account. And others of us who may just have a doubt here and a doubt there that the promises that Jesus gives to us will actually be true. This is an account of logic. It's an account of evidence that's before us this morning. And logic leads to our understanding. Evidence points to the faith that we must have in Jesus the Christ, that he is risen from the dead. 
Now last week, if you were here, we looked at the end of chapter 19. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and we said there there were three testimonies. There was the testimony from Jesus on the cross. There was the testimony about Jesus before the cross, the prophets of old. And then there was the testimony by John, the apostle, the author of the book, about Jesus after the cross. So on the cross, before the cross, and after the cross, we have a testimony of what Jesus had said that he had come to do. And that was to die for our sin on the cross of Calvary. Today, in this account, account of the resurrection, we have something very similar that points to this testimony, that gives us this assurance, this logic that leads to our understanding, this evidence that drives us to faith in Christ alone. And it's wrapped up in four Greek words. Four Greek words that John uses to progress to show their level of doubt at the beginning of the account to their level of great faith at the end of the account. This is a great passage for people like you and me. Those of us who doubt the resurrection of our Savior, we are like Mary, we are like Peter, we are like the Apostle John. And yet Jesus himself testifies to the fact, logic that leads to our understanding, evidence that drives us to faith in Christ alone, that he is risen indeed from the dead. So let's look at this passage then and take great hope in that. Early the first Easter Sunday morning, it was still dark and Mary made her way to the tomb and she saw that the tomb or the stone had been rolled away. Now some would say, see, see right here, I, I doubt I doubt because this account says that Mary is by herself. And we read the other gospel accounts and it says Mary is accompanied with the other women. So we can't trust the Bible because it says that she's by herself when another gospel account says that she's not by herself. But it doesn't actually say that. I mean, look at what she later says at the end of verse 2. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And look at the, the pronoun, the third person plural pronoun. And we don't know where they have taken him. So all John is doing in his gospel account is focusing on the one individual that Jesus will later reveal himself to when he calls her by name. So she is saying, we have seen that the tomb is empty and we don't know where he has gone. But look at her concern. This is Mary Magdalene, remember? Remember Mary the, the prostitute, the harlot that Jesus had saved out of her sin. And now we have this one account, and look at what she's saying. She's been following the Savior. She's been hearing all of these things that Jesus has been telling them about how he had to die for their sin, and he would be raised to new life. And look at her concern. We don't know where he is. They've taken away the Savior, and we don't know where they've put him. Now, wouldn't you think that she would be saying, it's true, it's true, he's been raised to new life. He promised that he would rise again on the third day, but that doesn't seem to be even a remote possibility in her mind. In her mind, she says, they've taken him away, and I don't know where he has gone. 
All of the prophecy that she saw and heard from Jesus on the cross at the end of chapter 19. He said, I am thirsty. That Greek word we looked at last week that means this spiritual dryness because Christ would actually die for our sin and he would take that sin all the way to hell. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again on the third day. That's what our Apostles' Creed says because that's what our sin deserved. That dryness, spiritual dryness that Jesus said, I thirst. She heard that prophecy. It is finished, he said, to tell us die. Nothing else is needed. There is nothing else that you can add to this salvation that I am giving to you, Jesus says, as a free gift. Not your good works, not your good life, because your works aren't good and your life's not good either. But I will make you righteous. I will give you this righteousness by dying for your sin. Mary heard all of that. And yet, her concern is, they have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. We can be confronted with the evidence, dear friends, and still be just like Mary, still be filled with doubt. We can have all of the evidence that claims and proves what it is that is right before us and yet we can be just like Mary confronted with that evidence and still doubt. Instead of the excitement of the gospel alive and well within me this resurrection Sunday instead of shouting from the mountaintops that he is risen indeed we live a life many times as if we believe that they've taken him from the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. We live in doubt. We find the same thing with Peter and John. That's how John goes ahead and describes the rest uh, of verse 3 and following, 3 through 8 and 9. Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb, the other disciple that Jesus loved. This is John referring to himself. But I want, I want you to remember this. John's gospel account, this gospel that's open in your lap right now, was written about 90 A.D., so this account was written years after this event. And look how John, John is almost as if he, he wants to communicate on the page. He wants to scream to us the level of doubt that he had in his own life. He defines that doubt for us in this hesitation. They run to the tomb. He doesn't say that he outruns old man Peter. But he runs to the tomb. He gets to the door where the stone once was and he pauses. He hesitates at the door. And here begins these Four Greek words that come to us. And the first Greek word translated in our language in English looked in verse 5. He bent over and he looked in. The Greek word is blepo. Blepo. And it means to simply glance at something. So what John is doing is saying, I want to define my doubt for you. I want you to see how much I, I wouldn't even go into the tomb. I hesitated at the door and all I did is simply glance inside. I didn't give it any kind of attention at all. Peter comes running in and almost knocks John down. Peter the old man finally gets there. Peter the one that had just denied the Savior in the, in the chapter before, two chapters before, Peter gets there, runs inside, right into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. And we can almost hear the questions that are going on in Peter's mind. As John gives us this detailed account about this burial cloth. Look at it. He saw the strips lying there. 
the burial cloth had been around Jesus' head, but now it was all folded up by itself, and it was separate from the other linen. And you can hear Peter's questions in his mind. If they stole his body, why, why would they take time to fold up all of these linens? If they stole his body, why didn't they just scoop him up and run out with him in those linens? If they didn't do that, if they wanted to go ahead and take time, wouldn't they just throw them down on the ground? Why would they fold them up so neatly? At the end of chapter uh, 8 or 19, we, we read about um, Nicodemus. It's actually in 19 verse 39. Accompanied by Nicodemus, uh, Nicodemus visited Jesus that night in his body and he brought 75 pounds of spices to bury Jesus with, all wrapped up in all of these, all of these cloths. So Peter's, the question in Peter's mind, you know, why would they, why would they unwrap it? Why would they leave, why wouldn't they just grab him? Why did, why did they put everything back so neatly? And here we have the second Greek word. He saw Verse 6, he saw the strips of linen lying there. And the Greek word is theoreo, from which we get our word theorize or theory. And it literally means this, to take careful notice of. So Peter comes running in. Now get this picture now. He comes running in and he is soaking it all up. He's looking at everything. That's folded and that's folded separate from that. And all of this is there. And all of, he is soaking it up. He's theorizing everything and comes to the conclusion that somebody has stolen his body. John finally comes in. We read that. We read that in verse 8. Finally, the other disciple that reached the tomb first, the one that Jesus loved, John, the apostle, went inside. And here is the third Greek word. He saw and he believed. The Greek word is oida, which simply means this, to get a mental picture that leads to certainty. But he saw and believed. What is it that he believed? We read this passage and we think we believe, he believed that Jesus had been raised to new life, that he had been raised uh, from the dead, right? But that's not what John tells us here. He is giving us a definition of both of their doubts. He saw and believed, but look what John goes on to say. They still did not understand that the scriptures said what Jesus had said, and that was that he would rise again from the dead. Because look at verse 10. What did they do in response? The disciples went back to their homes. Can you believe that? They're standing right there at the empty tomb. Jesus had said he was going to die for their sin and be raised to new life. They see it firsthand, and yet they, they doubt. The gospel has had no effect on the way they were living. And much the same for us today, friends. If we are standing in an empty tomb and we are doubting the very thing that our Savior has told us, the gospel has had no effect in our life. We can say we believe it, but if we don't live it, then we are doubting. We are doubting in the lives that we live and the gospel has had no effect. If we stand there hesitating, running to the Savior, questioning everything about the Savior. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong for us to have questions I have lots of questions. I'm going to get to heaven someday and I've got a list. I'm going to say, sit down, take a seat. I got a whole list here of questions I want to ask. 
Number one, how did Jephthah get into into the hall of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11? This is the guy who sacrificed his own daughter, remember? The next person who comes out of the tent, I will sacrifice to Yahweh. It's his daughter. He kills his own daughter. And he's in Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith. We've been surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Jephthah, really? (laughs) Okay, I I went down a path there. Let me come back. Just this, friends, it's okay to question. I mean, certainly it's okay to question. God has given us reasonable souls and minds. He's created us in his likeness and image. But when we put ourselves under the preaching of the word every single Lord's Day, or we read the word, and he jumps off the page, proving himself to us, and yet we continue to question over and over and over, we are filled with doubt, and the gospel has had no effect on our hearts or our minds. Now listen, friends, if that describes you like it does me, then there is good news. There is even greater news because look at how the passage ends. Here's what John has been doing for us. He wanted to, he wanted us to discover Mary's doubt. They've taken him away and I don't know where they've put him. And he wanted to define his own doubt and Peter's doubt. They saw, but they didn't understand. He looked, but he only glanced. And then they leave. They go back to their homes. Instead of, we would expect to read in the passage that they'd be running around the streets shouting with joy, He's risen, He is risen indeed. You'd think that that's what they would be doing. But verse 10, He goes back. They go back to their homes and we are left now with Mary all by herself just like the passage started. And she begins to weep. She weeps because she's thinking to herself, this is the end. There's nothing more. It's all over now. And so she begins to weep. And two more times we have the word theoreo, that word there that simply means to take careful notice of. We read it in verse 12. And saw, she looked into the tomb, and theoreo, she saw two angels in white. And then again in verse 14, at this she turned around and theoreo, she saw Jesus standing there. She's taking careful notice of. She's not simply just looking, but she is taking careful notice of. In her tears she is asking, where have they taken him? When Jesus appears to her, she thinks he's a gardener. And theoreo, looking at him, careful notice, she says, They've taken him away. If you've taken him away, tell me. Tell me where you have taken him. I'll go get him and I'll take care of everything. And then look what he does. Mary. Mary. Oh, friends, if this doesn't bring you to a a, a heart melted with joy and happiness, He calls her by name, just like he did for you and he does for me. If you're here today and you love the Lord Jesus, it's only because he has called you by name and drawn you to himself. It's all about a relationship in the middle of her weeping. She hears the voice of her Savior and now she is taken careful notice of with her eyes. But it's not until she hears her name spoken by the Savior himself, the resurrected Savior himself, that she hears and understands. And now she grabs hold of that. And if that describes you, this is the promise that he gives to you today. If you're here today and your life is filled with pain upon pain and suffering upon suffering, this is not the end. 
there is a new life coming. That's his promise. If you're here today and life is good and you think you have accomplished it all, this is not the end. There is a greater life coming and that life is the promise that Jesus himself gives to us as he calls us by name to come to him. Mary runs to him weeping and she grabs hold of him and she embraces him. She clings to him as the word, the Greek word literally is translated. She clings to him, Jesus says, verse 17, don't cling to me anymore. He's not rebuking her. He's not rebuking her. She's run to him. She's thrown her arms around him because now she sees, now she believes, now she understands. And he says, I have not yet ascended. The crucifixion was important. The resurrection was important. But the ascension of our Savior is as important as well. He has now ascended back to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. As the Hebrew, author of Hebrews says, and there he lives to intercede for us. He sits at God's right hand today in the glorified body, the resurrected body. And he is interceding for us, his children, as he calls us savingly to himself by name through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have then... The fourth and the final Greek word in verse 18 that we see this movement now from doubt to belief. The evidence has brought her to this place of faith. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and she said, I have seen, orao, the Greek word that says, I recognize because of an experience, a physical, a life-changing experience, orao. I have now seen the Savior. He called me by name. I wrapped my arms around him and he assured me that he had been resurrected, raised again to new life. And then she goes and she tells the disciples and look at verse 20. They saw because the Lord appeared to them as well. He comes and says, peace be with you. And then he showed him his, their hand, his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed and they orao, they saw the Lord. This personal experience, a response because of a life-changing experience. There is the hope of the gospel, dear friend. If you're here today and you're blepo, you're just glancing, or you're oreo, you're just theorizing about this resurrection, or you're oida, you're, you're giving it a, a lasting glance, but it hasn't pierced your heart, then here's the good news for you and for me today. He gives us orao. He gives us the ability to experience in our life the work of this gospel and change us completely. G.K. Chesterton said this. Listen to this great quote. So many people have rejected Jesus, not because they have considered the evidence and found it wanting, but because they have never considered the evidence. You've got evidence right here in front of you. Individuals that were there, that saw this firsthand, and give us this testimony with these four uses of this Greek word to show how doubtful they were and continued in that doubt until they experienced the Savior in an unmistakable way. And that is the promise that he gives to you. He will prove himself to be faithful, dear one, loved one. 
He will prove himself to be faithful and he will secure your destiny, your life forevermore as he wraps you in his hand and the hand of God doubly joined forever and ever and ever. What a gospel, what a savior, what a work that he has done for people like you and me. Do you believe it? That's the question. Do you believe it? My house is for sale. I'm trying to sell it. I put it up for sale by owner, stuck a sign out in the yard on a Thursday evening. I got my first call on Friday morning and showed it the first time on, at noon that next day on Friday. I had another call later that afternoon. Another woman came and saw it. I had a call the next morning on Saturday. And then they got into a little bit of a bidding war there. I got two of them who had verbal offers. I got one final written offer for more than I was asking for the house because she knew about the other two as well. And of course, I did what every husband would do. I went to my wife and I said, see, I told you so. I, I told you, you need to believe me. I told you so. I, I can sell this thing. I mean, this is my house. It's the most beautiful house in all of the world because it's mine. And I can sell this thing. I don't need a realtor. I can sell it. See, I told you so. And then we got tied up in that whole options period for 10 days. And on day number nine, in all of her wisdom, the woman decided that your house will not meet my needs. And I am terminating the contract effective immediately. Boom! Ha! Huh. I thought, oh no. So I stuck that sign back out in the yard. I put more papers in there with all those beautiful uh, pictures and all. And the phone stopped ringing. And so I start to doubt. Maybe I can't sell this house. Maybe I can't do what I thought I could do. I, I, I still haven't sold it. If you're here today and you need a house, I got one for you. <laughs> But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a little doubtful now that I'm going to sell this thing on my own. I may have to break down and pay 3%, and that's going to, this Irish guy is not going to like that. It's going to tear me up inside. See, I told you so, turned to whoops, maybe not, maybe not. And that, my friends, is how we treat this empty tomb many times. There's just no two ways around it. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. Jesus has been raised to new life. Do you believe that? I got great words for you from Jesus himself. Listen to what he said later on in the chapter. Just listen. He looked at Thomas and he said, touch, the hand, touch my side, touch the wounds in my hand. Doubting Thomas, who said, I'm not going to believe unless I can see, unless I can orao, I can have this personal experience. And Thomas touched the wounds and said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, and he's telling you today, friend, listen, he's telling you today, because you have seen me and have believed, you are blessed, but blessed are those who have not seen me and yet will still believe. We have not seen the Savior physically like they did that day. But the tomb is empty today, dear friends, and the promise that he gives to you is you don't need to see because the work of the Spirit will seal to your mind that this is orao, this is true, and that we have had this personal relationship. Come to the Savior today, loved one. Come to the Savior today. Embrace him and receive this gift of belief 
evidence that drives to faith, logic that leads to our understanding. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you've sealed to our hearts and to our minds through the reading of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit that everything that you have given to us in your holy infallible word is true. Everything is yes and amen in Jesus, the very one who rose again from the grave. Seal it to our minds today, Father, as we oftentimes live a life of doubt. Take away that doubt and give us a deeper faith a passion, an experience with you today and forevermore. In Jesus' name.